Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for professionals. We work to simplify your finances so you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Hello everybody, welcome back to Beer and Money. I am your host, Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. On today's episode, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite security, bonds. Yay, bonds! <laughs> uh, the the agenda for today, if you will, is we're going to discuss what is a bond. How is what's the difference between short term and long term? What affects the bond prices? And why do we even have bonds inside of our portfolio? In the conversations we have with our clients, uh, many of our clients understand uh, high level around all of that. Um, some of them have con- concerns or questions around how it operates inside of the bigger picture in terms of what causes the bond price to go down or you know, how, how does the bonds affect my rate of return inside mm-hmm. of my portfolio. So we thought, let's just discuss about bonds high, uh, more in detail so that you all can take away some action items and have a better understanding of what's happening inside of yours. Sounds good, Ryan. Let's just jump right into it with uh, with what a bond actually is. At, at its basic level, a bond is owning debt of whatever institution or organization issued the bond. Yeah, this could be, you know, government bonds are popular and the in, the entity that essentially Alex is already laughing at me. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that they're popular. Um, they're they're widely used. Well, uh, widely used and known is what I meant by that. Sure, they are backed. They are essentially their their debt issued by the United States government, and that means they're also backed by the United States government. Correct. Um, so we want, and th- they can also be issued by a state or local municipality, uh, a county, a um, a city. You can also have uh, revenue bonds. Like for example, um, if we're building the Evergreen Point floating bridge, 520 here in in the Seattle area, uh, it's a really big project. And uh, so one of the ways that they raise money to be able to fund it is through bonds. And it's called a revenue bond because there's going to be revenue generated from the tolls to drive across the uh, across the bridge, and those tolls will essentially pay back the bond. So ultimately, the the users of the bridge are paying for it, uh, but it's being funded through raising capital of a uh, via a bond. So let's talk about bonds and and what is so when you purchase a bond what actually occurs how are, how are, how does that bond price or return how does that actually happen good question there there's really two main types of bonds uh there's what's called a zero coupon bond um and then there's just a, a a standard bond so a standard bond uh you're you know buying it uh you know, it, the price is going to fluctuate and we'll get into what causes the price to fluctuate. Um, but you're buying a, a face bond for, say, somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000 a bond. Um, and then twice a year, you're going to receive an interest payment, uh, oftentimes called a coupon. 
Um, and so, you know, if you uh, like, let's say that we've got a $10,000 bond and a 5% interest rate on that bond, what's going to wind up happening is twice a year, you're going to receive a, a coupon payment of $250. And so essentially what winds up happening is, uh, you know, you collect that $250 twice a year uh, for as long as the, the maturity of that bond is, well, let's just say 10 years in this example. Um, so between now and whenever that bond matures, uh, you're going to receive your 250 bucks. And then at the end of that time period, you're going to get the face value of that bond in our example, $10,000 uh, back, assuming that whatever organization um, honors the ability and pays that, that bond back. Right, which brings us to the risk of bonds, right? So we've got default risk, right? Does mm -hmm. does the 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 company or the entity that issued the bond are they still in existence and can they pay it back, right? So the default risk, right. and then the other risk that we'll get into is interest rate risk. So default risk, right? If if we're if the bond is a corporate bond, meaning a company issued debt. The default risk would be, does that company go bankrupt, if you will, then maybe you don't get your money back. Now, if it's a government bond, then obviously that chance of that occurring is not as high and not very likely because it's backed by the full faith of the United States government. But that's one risk. The bigger risk really is the interest rate risk, Alex. Yeah, I mean, it, default risk, uh, especially in corporate bonds, isn't zero. Um, and the the famous examples of um, you know corporate or of of uh, U.S. bonds being in in trouble um, were like when Orange County uh, declared bankruptcy back in I believe it was the 90s, um, or D Detroit had some solvency issues uh, a few years ago. Um, but for the most part, the the vast majority of, of government bonds, whether it's federal government, state, local, uh, the vast majority of them are, are really fairly safe. Uh, you do need to go ahead and verify and take a look at like what the credit rating is and things of that nature. Um, and that there's some other advantages to investing in municipal bonds that have to deal with taxes. We're not going to get into that today. Um, but the you know, and and with a corporation, your general a debt holder for the corporation. So if the corporation has, uh, you know, credit cards outstanding and uh, loans on property and things of that nature, uh, you are a general creditor and you're just in line with all of the other creditors in the event that the the company goes bankrupt. Um, and so they're they're depending upon what, you know, how how risky the company is. There there can be some risk there. In fact, there's an entire category of bonds called high yield, um, which is really just a code for that there, there's more risk of default. Um, now, the, the benefit of high yield is that you're going to get a, a bigger coupon rate or a bigger interest rate for, for investing in that type of a company. Um, the other possibility is that you might be able to buy it at a discount. Um, and what buying a bond at a discount is, is if the face value of the bond is $10,000, uh, you might be able to buy it for $8,000 or $9,000 or something in that neighborhood anyway, uh, where you're getting a, a reduce, you're paying a reduced price for something that should be worth more in the future. Again, assuming that there's not a default. Which takes us to interest rates right so there's a inverse relationship 
with interest rates and the price of the bonds. Yeah. What I mean, uh, what, what we mean by that is, as interest rates go up, that means bond prices go down. Yeah, existing bonds that are already sold and already owned go down. And if we think about this, this innately makes sense. You know, if if you had a bond that was paying five percent, and there's a new bond out there that paid six percent, well, the the value of you know, assuming that there's no differences in default risk or credit quality or anything else uh, uh, or maturity or length of time for that bond then we'd all want to have the 6% bond and not the 5% bond. And what winds up happening is that the price of that 5% bond falls to the point where the yield is now the same for the 5% bond as the 6% bond. So it, it gives you an example of like what winds up happening. Uh, essentially, we wind up uh, finding a new equilibrium, so that uh, the existing uh, the existing bond that that uh, now has a lower interest rate, the price falls to the point where it's now a six percent interest rate. Exactly. And the other option is, if interest rates go down, that means Ex bond prices go up, and yeah. that right. And it's the opposite of what Alex just said. Now. If interest rates are going down and you have the 6% bond in that instance and they're going down, obviously now that bond price will be worth more than if you have a bond that's at 4% because wouldn't you rather get 6% on the bond rather than 4 Again, assuming everything else is the same, 100%. Um, and so now it's, it's good to take a little bit of a history lesson and think about what interest rates have been doing essentially since the early 80s and that is they've been falling like if you think back to the early 80s if if you know you remember much about interest rates back then um like i in the early 80s i was i was pretty young um i don't remember it but i've done a lot of studying on it and we had mortgage rates that were up in the you know high teens to low to mid 20s um, and so like, bank accounts were paying 10% interest. Um, you, we, we had huge interest rates back in the early 80s. Um, and, and really, ever since then, interest rates have been on a downward trajectory. Um, they've bounced around a little bit over the last decade here, but we've been in a sustained low interest rate environment, um, you know, certainly since the, the Great uh, Recession uh, back in 2008, 2009. Uh, but we've we've really been at or below about five percent on mortgage interest rates um, for about the last fifteen years or so, and we're at a all time low right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, interest rates for like we've been hearing clients that are getting thirty year fixed mortgages for In under the twos. <laughs> yeah, under three percent, which is crazy. Um, you know, just to put that in perspective we expect there to be somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 4% inflation, which means that the more money that you borrow on a mortgage and the longer time horizon you have to pay it back, you may actually wind up having uh, to pay back less dollars in terms of real or inflation adjusted dollars uh, in the future um, you know, essentially, it's a negative real interest rate. 
So we've got these interest rates that are low right now, and then there's also a difference in maturity, uh, what they would call a short-term bond versus a long-term bond. So let's talk about the effects of that inside of the inside of you know people's portfolios right now in terms of what return and and how that correlates with their the rest of their their investments. Yeah. Uh, so generally speaking, you know, most of the time. Uh, the longer the maturity, the the better the interest rate because we're locking money up for a long period of time. You know, if you ever hear about an inverse yield curve and you're wondering what the heck an inverse yield curve is, it's when they're paying less interest for a longer time horizon than a shorter time horizon. Um, it, it's generally speaking not a good economic sign. Um, there's also a host of other potential issues that come along with it. They typically don't last for very long. Um, but when we get back to the crux of it, the, the longer the duration, the longer the maturity of a bond, the more volatile it's going to be with interest rates. And again, this is relatively intuitive if we think about it, because if we lock in a change in interest rates for a long period of time, it's going to have a more dramatic effect than locking in a change in interest rates for a shorter period of time. Um, so yeah, interest rates, uh, the interest rates, the, the, the interest risk is magnified by the, the length of maturity on a, on a bond. Yeah. Just do a comparison right now, right? Like if you buy a 30 year bond versus a one year bond or five year bond or whatever that is, if you're locking in and I'll make it up numbers here, 4%. Which I don't think you can find that right now, but let's just say you did four percent bond out there for thirty years, and if we're already in an interest low environment, that's going to have volatility could be there, especially if interest rates start going up. Right. Conversely, I, if you've got that short-term bond, that one year, right, you've only locked it in for that one year, so you're able to have a little bit more flexibility because of that, and it won't be as volatile because of that as well. Yeah, um, you can find a 4% 30-year bond right now. It's just a matter of how much risk you want to take on to, to do so. Right, fair. Uh, a 30-year treasury yield right now is is in the neighborhood of like one and one one and a half to 1.75. Uh, what that means is that essentially you're going to wind up losing purchasing power uh, over the next 30 years. We're expecting or anticipating inflation to be greater than the rate of return on your 30-year treasury note. Um, I mean, that's like right now we're, we're really not a big fan of long-term bonds. Um, in general, we're not a, a fan of long-term bonds just because the, the risk-reward trade-off, uh, certainly over the last and 20 years uh, just really isn't there to, to justify owning long-term bonds, um, especially with the the increased volatility that they they have to, to interest rate moves. So let's talk about you know we're 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 talking about interest rates and and the risks there and the, you know maturity level, short-term versus long-term, and how that affects the that volatility. So why do we have bonds in the portfolio to begin with, Alex? Yeah. Uh, Bonds are designed to, well, 
the way in which you and I use bonds in a in an investment portfolio is to reduce down volatility of the overall portfolio. We want something that moves in a different direction in a different manner than the stock market. You know, the stock market bounces up, down, here, there, everywhere based on you know what's going on with the economy, based on what's going on with the company, things, uh, the companies, um, the various different you know factors on, as to what affects the stock market. Well, when the stock market is bouncing up, down, and everywhere, bonds for the most part aren't because the stock market isn't as interest rate sensitive. And oftentimes when interest rates go down, um, you know, it, it depends on what caused interest rates to go down, but it might be a sign that uh, um, the government is trying to stimulate the economy. And so the economy might be uh, in a little bit of trouble. And so if that's the case, well, if interest rates go down, existing bond prices go up. And if the economy's in trouble, that typically is not great for the stock market. Um, and so we've got assets that are moving in opposite directions. By having uh, assets that move in opposite directions, what it does is it, it helps our portfolio stay more stable, stay more level. And so uh, by having assets that work differently, it creates a more stable portfolio. So you and I really are using bonds in our portfolios to, to help reduce down the volatility. Um, the, the stock or the equity positions are there to drive the rate of return. And, and you might hear out there, you know, asset allocation where I've, you know, 90% in stocks and 10% in bonds. You might hear it 90-10. What that means is 90% is in stock, a higher risk type of equity. And then 10% is in bonds, which is a much lower risk. And so it's, as Alex just said, it provides a little bit of stability inside of that portfolio, which should, in theory, um, lessen that roller coaster ride, hopefully. So that's-, oh, that's it makes it, it makes it easier to hold, hold that right. portfolio. Exactly. Um, and we're not advocating a 90-10 portfolio for everybody. Um, most of the folks that listen to, to this podcast are, are typically, um, you know, younger, uh, mid-career or, or early career. Um, and so more of our younger clients have uh, higher risk tolerance. Um, you know, 90-10 is far and away not the only allocation. Um, and you need to make sure that, that you address what's appropriate for your situation. Um, so, uh, again. Uh, understand the amount of risk that you're taking and why and and why you're doing that before just jumping into a random allocation. So now that you know what a bond is and how it's it's affected and the risk associated and why we've got it in portfolios, let's talk about the question of the day, Alex. Yeah, the question of the day is is what have you noticed in your bond portfolio over the last couple of years? How has it acted? How has it reacted? And are you happy that you've had it? Or is it time to review your portfolio? So head over to beerandmoney.net and at the bottom of that page, you can fill out uh, the answer to that question, uh, as well as if you have any ideas on your mind or topics that you would like us to talk about on the podcast, feel free to give us that information there as well. We hope this episode was valuable for you. And as always, Mr. Collins. Cheers. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and it's not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or quantified financial partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and more these values. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Union Boulevard, Claremont, California, 91711. 909-399-1102. Securities products and advisory services offered to Park Avenue Securities, Pembroke, Pembroke, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Park Avenue Securities is a Canadian subsidiary of Quantified financial partners is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Under current planning, 